All right, peeps, on today's 100th episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering dope questions from the Patreons. Lots of gems, lots of depressing martial arts conventions, lots of... The Kung Fu Genius is great and all, but he ain't in the Hall of Fame like I am. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. <laughs> Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? I'm doing fine and dandy, Sifu. So this is totally our 100th episode. Totally the 100th episode. It, it totally wasn't the interview with Jim Rosalando I did it yesterday. It totally was not. Which will come out after this episode right? so that this one can be 100. Exactly. It totally wasn't that episode. No. Yeah, this is definitely the this 100th definitely episode. This is definitely the 100th episode. 100%, not 101%. 100 episodes of KFG. We've knocked it out the box. I didn't think we'd last two episodes. <laughs> After that first one with you, I'm like, wow. what the hell? How do you know that we happening? didn't last two episodes and this hasn't been just one massive fever dream or yeah. Dreisen hypothetical? Totally right. We might be stuck in a Dreisen hypothetical that we what can never get out What was the first thing you said? Fever dream? Yes, a fever dream. I like how he goes back to the most. Uh, a fever dream? A fever Explain dream. to me your fever dream. It's a fever dream. <laughs> What's a fever dream? I never had a FIFA, FIFA dream. FIFA about, dream? You think about watching the World Cup? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Football. Yeah, it's a dream about football. Yeah, Yes. Soccer. No, a fever dream is when you like, you know, sick with a fever and then and you, you have, have weird dreams. Yes. Because oh, yeah, your, your brain is cooking. I've never had a fever. Or I've never had a fever dream. I got a fever, and there's only one prescription for it, and that's more cowbell. Wow, 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 wow. So anyway, uh, for those of uh, our audience watching us on YouTube, as Yay. opposed to listening to us, I am wearing the new official KFG podcast. KFG podcast t-shirt with the logo as many wow. people might have noticed in the last few episodes we have updated the logo for kung wow. fu genius we have moved away yeah. from the shaw brothers so with that uh run run shaw sent me a cease and desist letter you're lying yeah even though he's dead from the grave yeah he sent it to me himself he ran to you yeah he wrote that shit yeah he in ran the grave. to me all right he ran ran shaw to me and uh <laughs> and uh ah. he told me i gotta stop doing that you know why why because, because uh, he said it was unethical because he stole that logo yeah. from Warner Brothers. Yeah. So All right. So uh, how dare I steal that from him? Maybe he took the same letter that Warner Brothers gave him and he used he it. He repurposed it, it. Yeah, yeah. He just, yeah. Ch he just changed the, uh, the, <laughs> the names. The font. Yeah, changed the font. And changed the logo. <laughs> changed the logo from <laughs> Warner Brothers lawyer to Shaw Brothers lawyer. Right? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. How, how, how Run Run Shaw got away for so long having so. totally... The shamelessly stolen Insane. the Warner Brothers logo yeah. uh, is beyond me. But man, the Shaw Brothers <laughs> How? were very, very smart you know, business. You know who, who's the, uh, the loser in this? Warner Brothers. You know, Are they? they? Yeah. I don't, they, I don't think they lost why any would money they, because of Shaw Brothers. You think so? No. no. I mean, you know, which company's still around? Uh, well, technically, Shaw Brothers is still around, but yeah. as TVB. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Why would you go there? So, uh, Transvestite listen, brothers. Listen to him. Yeah. What? <laughs> Unbelievable. You're gonna get yourself canceled. Right? <laughs> what well, for okay. that? Yeah. Oh you know God. what it is. Yeah. This is gonna be like, and I know by the time this episode yeah. comes out, it's gonna be old news. It's gonna be like, I'm Alex Jones and you're Kanye. <laughs> hey, 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 hey! Take it easy. Yeah. Wow. You you know you're off the rails when you know. When Alex Jones has got a copy. Yeah, when, right? when, when he's the moderate one. When he's the moderate one. All right. Wow. Oh, my God. All right, cool. So, uh, anyway, the uh, the new KFG uh, podcast logo is now available on uh, It's pretty on lit, too. I like it. These are, nice. like these are those, those Bella Canvas 
V-necks. Yeah. These are the nice ones. So we have them available at uh, the, the, at City Wing Chun at citywt.com. That link is in the description for this episode, so you can get yours. And uh, while they're yeah. hot, while they're hot, if we even have any left by the time this one comes out, because this episode is not coming out for a few more weeks, oh. and, and so we've already been selling the the piss out of these things. Uh, so. Uh, what you got for me, Drake? What you got? What you got? Patreons. Patreons. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, because our Patreon supporters always get first dibs on uh, questions. So um, you know, Man. here's here comes the shameless plug again for Patreon. You know, when you <laughs> when you guys support us on Patreon, shameful, um, not shameful. You might be shameful. I'm full. I'm He's shameful. totally I'm shameful. Shameless. Full cup uh, of it. Yes. The uh, um, our our Patreon page. Uh, you can support us for as little as $5 a month, and you get episodes early. Usually, uh, these episodes premiere on Monday, and Patreons usually get them by Friday or sometimes Saturday at the latest, mm-hmm. so they already have them for a couple days. And there's also other goodies that I put on the Patreon page as well. Uh, many people who follow me on Instagram know that I have an a Instagram only fan. Sorry, Instagram yeah. subscriber. Subscriber. Uh, a subscriber platform. All right, now, I, I keep calling it my Instagram only fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that might Do you have OnlyFans? Uh, I For should, though. KFG. Not yet, he doesn't, but KFG I'm working yeah, on it. Mikey Dean wants me to have an uh, OnlyFans. Yeah, there's going right. to be a KFG after Dark OnlyFans. Everyone needs to know That's this. Right. It could be, yeah. Don't so, be fooled. His Instagram OnlyFans does post thirst traps. <laughs> yeah, it could so, be before dusk So I don't as well. Po- uh, I don't post thirst traps yes, on he does. my uh, Instagram subscriber only. I, I post about once a week. I'll post a Wing Chun tip, a little mm-hmm. lesson, something. You know, sometimes it's basic stuff like mm. Paxa or sometimes it's follow-up techniques or how to do things on the dummy or theory or why multiple attacker training is bullshit or why you need to throw that rattan ring in the garbage can. Um, but uh, about every week what? I come out to one to two uh, uh, with one to two tips mm-hmm. on uh, Instagram. But now what I've done for my Patreons, if you support me on uh, Patreon for five bucks, which is also the same price as the Instagram subscriber thing, yeah. I will also post the Instagram subscriber only content for our Patreons. So basically, if you really want to support the Kung Fu Genius in an efficient way, just go, pre- um, Patreon, go to yeah. Patreon because you get both the, the Instagram stuff and you also get yeah. the episodes early. And I do also post like occasional random goodies on my Patreon that uh, I don't have elsewhere, like uh, some Hong Kong demos and things like that uh, that I haven't posted elsewhere. Um, on top of uh, the fact that Patreons get first dibs on um on any questions uh so um Word. here topher is one of our patreons and uh, so long we, time we, we always He's get one of the og patreons OGs back from dudes of kung fu yeah. days so um so anyway if you want to support us on patreon the link is in the description below we definitely appreciate that so what do you got from from our patreon supporter topher hey everyone just want to let you know wing chun illustrated is now offering a paperback edition through amazon reaching a larger global market and no they're not ditching the glossy magazine edition through MagCloud. you can now simply choose the version of this magazine you prefer and the one with the cheapest shipping wherever you live. Order your copy of Wing Chun Illustrated today across 12 Amazon marketplaces with free shipping for Prime members. Go and check that out. Hey Alex Sifu and the whole KFG crew, mm-hmm. especially Mikey. Mm-hmm. What's that Thanks Topher, I love you. I'll pay you <laughs> what later. What is that about? What are some of the most common misunderstandings and misuses of kicks and footwork you see in Wing Chun? Thanks for all of the great content. Tea and biscuits. Love, Topher. I don't get the tea and biscuits reference. Oh, I do, and I really appreciate it. Um, When I come down, we'll have lots of tea and biscuits, my friend. Yeah. 
Biscuits are what people from his neck of the woods call cookies. Mm. All right? They call, they, they call biscuits cookies, just so you know. Well, you know, biscuit actually comes out. from, it's, it's, it's like French for twice cooked. By squee. So it's like biscuit. That's, it's become English as biscuit, but it's actually like kind of, you know, related to French cool. language. means way it's twice too much cooked. culture for this yeah, podcast here. All right. All right. Way too record, much culture. We do have cookies as well. We just don't call them biscuits. We call them cookies. What's but, the deal with the English breakfast? I had an English breakfast in London. And it had that, that, what's that? that talk, oh, everyone goes on about this. It's the blood sausage. You talk yeah. about black pudding. First of all, black pudding is awesome. And I say that. I miss black pudding, pudding though. I, I should have some again. Have you ever had this black pudding? I thought pudding? that was your nickname. <laughs> black pudding. That's, no? You do not need to bring that up. Like, my past you, is my you past. You might have brought it up once or twice. No, yeah, but my right. past is my past. Okay, all right. let's keep that in anyway, the past. Let's keep right, it going. Black pudding. Let's, let's Even though I did pudding. bring up the black pudding. Let's, let's, let's keep it moving here. Um, okay, what's the, the question? All right, the, 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 the misuses or misconceptions about kicks. Right. Yes. Um, well, in maybe not so much a misuse of the kicks. By the way, it's a great question um, because I think that the kicking techniques in Wing Chun are very uh, underrated. Mm-hmm. Partially because Wing Chun is supposedly a style that doesn't emphasize kicking. And uh, so it, it kind of, we kind of have this weird reputation hung on our style because it's like, oh, Wing Chun, they don't really kick mm. or they don't have a lot of kicks or whatever. So then it's almost like Wing Chun people have to bear this reputation of being a style that doesn't have a lot of kicks or have a lot of leg work or, or a style that doesn't kick well um, when I feel that it's, it's a bit of an unfounded uh, reputation. My hips don't All say right. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of, of course, the, 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 the thing is that Wing Chun doesn't kick recklessly. Mm. So in, in other words, we don't just kind of bounce around and throw our legs out as a jab to test the distance, right? Um, because Wing Chun fights at close range, when we lift our leg, we want to be absolutely certain that we're going to kick the target mm -hmm. and kick the target with power and kick the target in a way that um, if the target suddenly moved or changed, we wouldn't be out of position. So that's a part of the reason why we emphasize that kind of very upright way of kicking, that if I, if I kick my opponent and my opponent were to suddenly move or deflect my leg, I'm not leaning into the kick where I'm going to fall forward. I can, I can convert my kick into a step and then immediately go in as if, um, as if I meant to do that. You Ooh. know what I mean? But of course, that yeah, takes a lot of practice. And, uh, um, you know, being able to kick powerfully from a upright uh, position takes a lot of practice. You need to stand yeah. in front of the wall bag, train your single leg stance, be able to do repeated kicks without dropping your leg so that you develop the single leg stance strength. It's not mm -hmm. just about the strength in the leg that's kicking, but it's also about the leg that's supporting you, right? Your kick in Wing Chun, because of our upright stance, we basically stand vertical and kick. Mm -hmm. Your kick is only as strong as your supporting leg. Uh, so that's why you, you, we, we go through great pains to improve yeah. the single leg stance kicking ability on the wall bag, on the dummy, uh, through our forms. And so um, I think because of that slightly difficult aspect of Wing Chun kicking, that we're not leaning into the kick or falling into the kick the way some other styles do, um, it requires this additional stance training to get good at it. And I think that a lot of people who don't go through that and then still try to kick 
using quote unquote Wing Chun kicks don't kick well. And mm -hmm. then the thing that gets the blame is the style. You know what I find interesting? Mm -hmm. That in MMA, there's a kick that looks like our front thrust kick. They have a different name. What, what's, the, what's the name they call this kick? Uh, the, you mean like a teep? Teep? Well, teep has that. Teep is from Thai boxing, and uh -huh. it's, it's a, basically the front kick from Thai boxing, and they it's use the, the ball of the foot. Okay. So we don't use the ball of the foot. We don't. We use the yeah. heel. Um, no, so, I think the so we don't extend kick. the hip the way they do in the teep. We keep our hip back, mm -hmm. you know, just because if you extend your hip and you miss, it's, it's much easier for your opponent to take your back in that kind you of situation. You're more of like the push kick, because when I did I'm Muay thinking, Thai, I'm thinking I did more push that kick. was more along. Yes, the, the yes. so that you have that as well. In general, when most styles do a front thrust kick, whether mm -hmm. it's a teep, a push kick, a, a front thrust kick from karate, um, they usually extend the, the hip on the kicking leg side a little bit forward, which means even though it's a front kick, you're still slightly bladed. Mm. And that's something we avoid in Wing Chun because again, if that kick misses or the person swipes it to the side, you fall forward, the guy's got your back and then you're on the ground before you know it. So we, we kick with our hips square in the same position that we do like the way we punch with our shoulders square. So that means that you have to have the confidence to be able to kick with power from that position, the stability to stand on one leg yeah. in case your kick misses. And you also have to realize that this kick is a much closer range kick. All right. Uh, our Wing Chun front thrust kick is done at a range much closer than a front thrust kick from most other styles. So there's a range adjustment when we use our legs and uh, sometimes Wing Chun people, if they don't have enough either sparring practice or mm -hmm. practical training or even just hitting a moving target, um, usually they might know, like from a technical standpoint, okay, in Wing Chun, when they, we do the Chum Q form, you turn, your weight is on the back leg, you lift the leg without your upper body moving, you kick, you know, the upper body doesn't move, all that stuff. They can do all that when they do the form or maybe even when they, you know, do solo drills or something like that. But then when they're sparring, and then there's a little bit of stress and pressure, uh, suddenly that goes out the window. And that is not a, um, uh, that is not a knock on the Wing Chun kick. That, that is a problem of the person has not trained this technique mm. under the stress of sparring, and then that's why it falls apart like a cheap suit, not yeah. because there's necessarily something inherently wrong with the way Wing Chun kicks. As a matter of fact, when you look at a lot of, like you mentioned, some modern MMA fighters, you're starting to see a lot of Wing Chun-like kicking being thrown in. Yeah. Like what they call the oblique kick, which that, is, is that the one you're talking about? I, I think so. Just basically a front kick to the knee. Oftentimes it's done with the rear leg. John Jones does it a lot. Yeah. The, to, the toe is turned out just like we do in Wing Chun whenever we kick the legs. And you start to see these things. Why and then is that even called like, an oblique kick? Uh, because Joe Rogan has decided that this is a new <laughs> MMA technique, uh, and this is not something that martial artists have been doing for eons, uh -huh. right? Um, yeah. And uh, sidekick, uh, uh, lead leg sidekick to the knee. Mm -hmm. um, even though um, you know we don't bounce around necessarily in Wing Chun, but like a lead leg sidekick to the knee is definitely something we do in Wing Chun. Definitely something you see in JKD or Bruce Lee, you know, kind of thing, right? Um, and so you're starting to see more of that lead leg sidekick to the knee, yeah. rear leg. Uh, quote unquote oblique kick to the, to the knee. You're starting to see more front kicks in general, sweet and uh, and 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 things of that nature, right? So uh, it requires an adjustment to make sure that you, all kicks have an optimal range that they work at. And sometimes uh, Wing Chun students that lack experience or maybe they had previous experience in karate or kickboxing and then they come to Wing Chun when they start sparring especially if they spar a little too early before they developed enough skills to 
use what they've learned instead of to just to default to the old factory settings, um, they will then suddenly start doing the front thrust kick out of range, right? And that's mm. the reason why um, you can do sparring drills with beginning students where, you know, you start feeding them a straight punch and they got to start defending this. But you do it within the parameters of an exercise, even if you're progressively adding more resistance and speed and stuff like that. But uh, a student needs to have a certain amount of basic skills before you can just say, all right, just go put the gloves on and go. Um, okay. Because what always happens to people when they're under stress is, uh, you know, we go, we get into this kind of amygdala hijack where our kind of reptile brain is kind of hijacking our logical brain. And, uh, you know, you start just kind of doing things out of instinct. And if you have not had enough training in whatever new style you're doing, uh, you're going to, you're going to revert back to either your previous martial arts training, or if you have not done previous martial arts training, you're just going to revert to doing whatever the hell to survive because you're not in martial arts practice mode when you're in <laughs> survival when you're in amygdala in. hijack you're in survival mode right is that amygdala so, amygdala amygdala right? yeah so mm -hmm. that's why you you need to make sure that you have enough skill and enough confident basic confidence in those skills to start adding some pressure to it otherwise it's just going to devolve into what you did before which doesn't make any sense if you're in a Wing Chun school, you start sparring and you go back to your karate stuff just because it's more familiar, then you need to practice a little bit. It's not that there's something wrong with Wing Chun's. You haven't done Wing Chun enough to start relying on those things in sparring, right? That, 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 is, a, that is a normal Use problem, error. right? Yes. Um, and, and so I think that sometimes the Wing Chun kicks, so to kind of come back to Topher's question, is that... Uh, there's a lot of lip service uh, given to Wing Chun kicking techniques, but the shoulders don't move, kick without warning, shadowless kick, kick with the heel, all, all this kind of like stuff that kind of makes a Wing Chun kick unique, the way we thrust, the way we um, don't retract our leg after we kick. Mm -hmm. Once we kick, we drop the leg and we use the leg to bridge the gap. So that's why we say like a kick is a step, a step is a kick. We don't kick, pull the leg back and then have to step again to reach it to our opponent, right? That means you have to cover the gap twice. Once we kick, kick our opponent in the leg, uh, the body, the knee, whatever, that foot goes straight down to the ground and then we bring the rest of the body behind it and use that to close the gap. So uh, all of those things are great, but they need to be practiced in a context of sparring so that the student feels comfortable using that under stress so that all of these beautiful platitudes about how awesome Wing Chun kicking is also translate into the real world when we spar with them. So I think, you know, it, it always comes back to one of my favorite lines, which is not my line. I read it, uh -oh. on, a, I read it on a forum many, many years ago, but I, you've heard me say it many times, which is the difference between practice and theory is bigger in practice than in theory. So the Wing Chun kicks work beautifully in theory, and they also work beautifully in practice, but you need <laughs> to practice them enough yeah. to get out of the theoretical part of understanding how, you know, you Man. can lift your leg and kick your opponent without them seeing because of this, you know, the way we have a rear-weighted stance. But then also be able to do that in yeah. the timing of someone rushing yeah, you no and coming shot. at you. Right. So, so that, that's the thing. It always, it always boils down to um, the beautiful-sounding platitudes of the kicks can also be realized in actual fighting if the student practices them in sparring does them with different types of equipment. You know, the moment you start doing the Wing Chun front thrust kick with a kick shield, 
where your partner's moving around. You know, we do those kind of drills all the time. Your partner holds a kick shield. Kick island. Yeah, kick island. They rush towards you, right? And while they're rushing at you, you basically have to try to stop them with the kick, right? What this means is, you know, your one partner comes at you kind of quickly, then the next time comes a little more slowly, then really rushes at you, and then you do it with someone else who's a little bit bigger. So you constantly have to learn in real time how to make adjustments to your kicks while someone is rushing at you. And that is just one application of the Wing Chun front thrust kick. Um, but the moment you can you get the targets to move, the heavy bag, kick shield, partner, um, that's already going to add the kind of novelty you need mm-hmm. to turn the dead knowledge of the kick from the forms and the basics into something alive and transferable. So it's always, it's always down with the practice. The Wing Chun kicks are gorgeous, close-range kicks, really intelligent stuff, uh, especially when you go into the advanced levels, kicks, kick sweeps, trips, binds, shin binds, all sorts of cool stuff you can do with the legs that work beautifully if you practice them and you can do them. So you say it's down with the practice, is it always also down with the sickness? Well, sickness can be a practice as well. My, in that was theory. for my new metal fans out there. In theory. Oh. Yeah. Well, when, I, when, when you launch a kick well, mm-hmm. all right, and someone's like, wow. And they look at it like, wow, the kick looks amazing. You mm-hmm. did it quickly, and you, you, then you just look at them with cold eyes, and you say, witness the fitness. All right? <laughs> okay, so what else you got for me? You got me down with the sickness, bro. Mm-hmm. Sick. That was a sick kick. Thank you. That's what I always tell you. I know. It was there. Yeah. Next up, we got Mark Pena. All right. We got another picture. No, 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 no. My bad. Mark Perna. Mark Perna. All right, there we my go. My bad, my yeah. bad. I, I took that R, I made it out. Yeah, yeah you yeah. changed his to nationality with yeah. one yeah. letter. All right. That's what's up. So he's another Patreon. All right, let's go. It is another Patreon, just so you know. I'm probably in the minority. Probably. But I really like your interviews. Oh, yeah, me too, because I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to see your hey, face. Huh? what the hell? No, is you that, have no that's idea. That's not what he means. No, that is what he means. That is I not a, what he means. We did an interview with Jim Rosalando yesterday. I mean, uh, the interview came after this because this is episode 100. That, that's, yeah, not, um, that's not true. And that's, you theory, know, that, you, that's theory. We talked about the history of Wing Chun and Learn John and stuff like that. Really, really interesting stuff. And what's great is that unlike my podcast with you, I actually learned something. <laughs> that is... That is I, I, I like, that is unfair. I like interviews. You know why it's unfair? Because I get to learn something. You know why it's unfair? Why is it unfair? Because I... Why, I feel like he's making something yeah, oh, up oh, in yeah, real time. No, he, he doesn't actually know the end of this thought. <laughs> All right, he opened his mouth first, and he, there's no end to this thought. He doesn't want to waste the perfect comeback right. on you, yeah. but he's just trying to think of Yeah, it. that's right. With his bumblebee lumberjack ass over there. <laughs> All right. Andrew, you can edit out all that airtime. No. That thinking time. Yeah, that thinking time. All right. So let's get to Mark's question. All right. All right. Really like your interviews. Me too. That's all he said. I like him better than That's all than he this. said. Yes. That's all he said. This one is no exception. His book is genuinely great addition to the Bruce Lee archive. I'm assuming he's talking about, about Steve Carriage. No. I think or he's talking, he talking about, about James Bishop. Bishop. Yeah. Okay, right, okay. Yeah, I can't tell because you didn't let me know. Yeah, well, I'm about to get to yeah, okay, it. Okay, do it, do it. Cataloging the sources for his notes probably should have been done 40 years ago. Mm. It would have been a much bigger job back then without the technology Bishop used. Right. My question 
is do you think Bruce would have ever published his notes in some form or another, or were these really just for his own edification? That's another uh, great word. That's really difficult to say, edification. Dre just learned a new word. No, dude, everyone who is a Bruce Lee fan knows the word edification. Are you serious? It's in Enter the Dragon. So what you're trying to say is that Dre isn't a Bruce Lee fan? No, no, no. Han, Han says it. When, 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 he's asking, uh, when he's asking Roper who he wants to fight, if he wants to fight Bolo or he wants to fight Bruce Lee, right. this morning's edification. That uh-huh. is the first time mm-hmm. everyone heard that word. All right? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone, everyone, so it's not a real word. Everyone who is a Bruce Lee is fan. Is that a real word? Like, uh, Mikey this, Dean? This morning's edification. It's just to sound much more intelligent. What than does the word mean, Mikey Dean? <laughs> he's, he's English, he doesn't know what it means. I love it. All right. Well, I look, let's put it this way: I don't know the Webster's dictionary definition oh. of it. You know what I mean? But you know what it would entail. I would absolutely know. Okay. It. It's because so much of language is all about context. Yeah, you know right. context it's just all is, about yes. the context. Yeah. It's just like watch the film again, see what the context <laughs> is, yeah. and then you'll find out. It's like what Dre doesn't get. Yes, I'm always screwing yeah. up the context. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, well, I, I don't know. I mean, this is a very good, uh, this is a very interesting thought experiment. You know, we, we always have, this thought experiment always comes up in I one form I love thought Warner. experiments. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think that'd be your thing. Thoughts. <laughs> thinking you know I mean? is, is the best. No. I mean, <laughs> thinking is the best? Yeah. No, thinking is the problem. No. Okay, oh, sorry. I just, one, one more interjection before <laughs> we get to this. I saw something today, or not today, but last week, that apparently... Uh, about 50% of people don't have an internal dialogue. 50% of people? Yeah, 50% of people. They don't have the guy in their head who's talking to them? Am I one of those? Are you trying to imply? I'm, I just looked in your direction. You ever, you ever, you ever listen into a shell and you hear yeah. like the ocean? Yeah. Can you imagine that's what actually sounds like inside <laughs> yeah. Dre's head? I, I have to create internal dialogue. I, I'm one of those, I, I gotta say. Okay. If you could go inside Dre's head, you would yeah. just hear... <laughs> And it's like a this, vast desert. And you know what? I don't take that. I take that as the highest compliment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, he, is, he is what the, uh, the, the Zen Buddhists call. He has reached the point of no mind. <laughs> and that's, take long. That's, that's nothing wrong with that. Huh? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful place to be. What's your internal dialogue saying right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Andrew, give us that. Yeah, better do that Listen one. to him tell Andrew how to do his job. Such a diva. Yeah, I know. Such a diva. The director. Yeah. Oh, give us that. Well, people people don't realize I'm 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 technically grooming Dre to uh, take over as the kung fu that genius. That is not. That is no. not. That's hyperbole. No, you know what? It, you, I love how he doesn't really know what that word means. <laughs> and I will use yeah, it. Uh, I will use it in the right context. Yeah, I in don't the know. wrong context. One day. You, you, are, you are going to be sitting in here. That is not happening. There's going to be someone else sitting there. there You're going to go, yo, Dre, how day. you doing, man? No, there will not and be And then people are going to ask questions, and you are going to give these amazingly eloquent responses about the problems of Chinese martial arts training in the modern society that and how, you know, how it needs to be reformed and all these that kind of things. And you'll have all these hot takes on no. Bruce Lee and cocaine and no. not always in that order and, no. you know. No, people is, do not like want the, that. This is the bizarro Superman storyline, right? <laughs> you are bizarro KFG. Yeah. There's going to be a time when Dre, I'm recording this. Dre, one day I will fly away and you will be the KFG. All right? 
it will not always be me. Someone has to take up the mantle of the KFG. And, and that I'm would looking, be Mikey Dean, because Mikey Dean has he much more eloquence. He barely knows what edification means, all right? He does not he has a need feeling. to know. He has a feeling of what He does what not it means. need to know. All right. KFG is going to be dry for yeah. a day, and you're going to have to answer questions. Oh, yeah. We actually, um, we actually did propose this as an episode idea, that I will be dry for a day, and you will be the KFG. You will have to answer the questions. That is a silly idea. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's more. It's so silly that it's really great. It, it is really great. Want that. It okay. is really great. Maybe people, we should get back to the want, question. People okay. Don't want it. So um, I can't. KFG, no. KFG audience, do you want an episode uh, where I am Dre for a day uh, and Dre has to answer the questions? Write in the comments below. <laughs> let us know. All right. It's going to be really easy. I can speak for the audience. The answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. It's going to be a terrible episode. Yes. We could call it the Bizarro World KFG. Yeah. Yeah, Bizarro. Yeah. But here's the thing. I'm not going to... Just like when you do it to me, I'm not going to give you the questions in advance. So you're going to have to answer that shit on the fly. All right? I'm not going to allow you to prepare. Because you don't allow me to prepare. You throw the questions at me. I have to answer Why them in real time. Why would I allow you to prepare? That, yeah. would be, that would take I'm all the, the I'm fun I'm the Kung Fu genius. But now we are training you to be the Kung Fu genius. Yeah, well. All right? Dre, you've been around me. I've more been than, around you more, more than, than many, anyone. More than most people. More than your children, I think. Maybe. All right? <laughs> wow. And wow. 10 plus years. Maria's 10? Yeah. Well, I got to argue. Yeah, Maria's been around longer. And but you... Should know yeah. all the stuff. I've told you everything, Dre. Every single story about Yip Man, Bruce Lee, Wong Fei Hong. Yeah. Everyone. You know all the stories, Dre. I'm, I've heard them enough. Dre, they're inside they're you. In, they're all in right? there. Just like Mr. Miyagi said, your <laughs> best karate is still inside you, all right? The what? best KFG stories are still inside you, Dre. KFG right? is inside you, Dre. Yes. All right? Hey, Just remember. What? All right? The KFG hey, is inside the, yo. you. All right? Okay, so... Hey. Anyway, we got to get back to the question. All right. So this these guy. these questions are really we'll great that guy because it's always it's always the eternal thought experiment of what if yeah. Bruce Lee did not die? Mm-hmm. You know, because this thought experiment can be uh, it can be uh, set a number of different ways. Okay, it can be mm. proposed a number of different ways. You can you know what if Bruce Lee didn't die and then you go into what would have happened to his movie career, Game of Death, this, that. What would he have done? What would he think of this? He would be writing plays. What would you think about, hey, 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 you're not supposed to talk about the fact that Henry David Huang is secretly Bruce Lee. Everyone knows this, though. It's so obvious. Everyone knows this. He has the Tom Cruise-isms. The person who told me that conspiracy theory, just like he was so dead serious. He he has the Tom Cruise-ness. Yeah. He's like, you know, look. Right? The center tooth. Suddenly, Henry, Henry, or David Henry Huang, I said Henry David Huang, I said yeah. David Henry Huang, yeah. became a playwright, and he secretly Bruce Lee post-death, right? It's obvious. Which though. is ridiculous, because um, uh, Mr. Huang had a career while Bruce Lee was still alive. Um, but, but anyway, the guy, the guy who told it to me was like so dead set that this was like true, right? Wow. And the funny thing, I mean, for, for people who don't remember, this was a story from our season one. Uh-huh. It was a <clears throat> KFG fan who... Very uh, seriously claimed that uh, David Henry Huang, the playwright from like, you know, M. Butterfly and all that stuff, <laughs> was secretly Bruce Lee. You know, Bruce Lee had, you know, t- assumed his identity or whatever, right? 
and then you know he told me this, and then the funny thing, I think the the, the most interesting part of that story was Look at his tooth. No, it, no, it wasn't even that. Uh, it no. was the fact that while I was telling this guy how ridiculous this theory was, yeah. I had temporarily forgotten the fact that I had actually met David Henry Huang. <laughs> <laughs> okay? And I'll tell you something, all right? Yes. The KFG is many things, yeah. all right? KFG is one thing for certain. The KFG is a Bruce Lee fan, okay? And I'll tell you, Dre. If I met a dude... Bruce Lee's inside of you. Right. That level. Yeah, I've reached yeah. that final level. Yeah. Your mind, body, and soul becomes one. <laughs> you know it's a sacrifice. Shit. It takes hard work. It's a way of life. Yeah. When you got the glow. <laughs> you feel as one when you got the glow. Your mind is one oh. when you got the glow. That would be a great guest. Yeah. So you're saying that your lidar wasn't going off. No, my lidar was not going off. I'll, t- I'll tell you, Dre... All right. People always say, what if you like f- secretly found out that yeah. Bruce Lee was alive? Or what if you bumped into someone on the train or whatever and you talk to this person? Yeah. And you realize this person is Bruce Lee. All mm. right. So I'll tell you one thing. All right. If there's one person to sniff out Bruce Lee, if he were still alive, yeah. that that dude would be me. Okay. Because I have two superpowers. Oh. All right. Oh, no, we know one of them. You know one of them, all right? My ability to spot any kind of fake hairpiece or hair implants, wig, toupee, whatever, on a man from at least three miles away. Wow. If you have one hair implant on your head and you're 10 city blocks away from me. Just one? I will smell it. Yeah. There's someone with a hair plug right there. (laughs) Boom. Okay, all right? You cannot wear a toupee, a hairpiece, hair implants, hair plugs, if there's any fuckery going on on your head, I don't care how much money you spent on it. I don't care if you spent Burt Reynolds to pay money on that shit. All right? I have a superpower where I can see from a mile away the best fake hair covering for What men. about hair dye? Oh, I see that too. When, when old dudes like dye their hair black. Yeah. But I think anyone can see that. Yeah. That doesn't right, take a special right. skill. <laughs> all right? Okay? My second skill, superpower. All right. Even though my first superpower is kind of useless. All right. No. My second superpower. All right. Is I can spot celebrities in the city when they're all completely dressed down, trying to be on the down low. All right. Because you know, you know, in New York. That is a great I mean, one, superpower. It is a great superpower, right? So uh, that one, is a much be, be, needed because because you know, in New York, yeah. um, they all they're all over. Lot, uh, they're all over, and they're and, and all what over. they like about New York is, mm-hmm. in general, local they New Yorkers blend in. Le- leave them alone, yeah. partially because they can blend yeah. in, and also partially because local New Yorkers aren't going to be like, yeah. If someone runs up to them screaming like, "Oh my God," they're it's not usually a a, it's a tourist, yeah. right? Yeah, they have that superpower. As yeah, well, funnily enough. Yeah, and I see them all the time. Like oh, even just man. catch them out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, "Oh, look, it's so and so." You know, I think even when they're wearing hats, they're trying to disguise I suspect yeah. Brendan has that superpower as well because he no, sees no. him because Brendan constantly. works at a fancy restaurant that celebrities go to that's yeah. why they literally go to his place of work alright that's, that's not a superpower he didn't spot no. you know uh, uh, Dave Chappelle because no. he was like oh wait Dave Chappelle literally comes to his restaurant okay. alright alright uh, so sense. yes that's a little bit different my right? bad Brendan but like I've seen I've seen like I saw Alan Rickman in Bryant Park once and Alan was, Rickman. Alan Rickman, yeah. I don't remember who Alan Rickman is. You don't know who Alan Rickman is? Die Hard? What? Are you kidding me? Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber yeah, from yeah. Die Hard? I, I know that, yeah. Yeah, also from Harry Potter, all that stuff, yeah. yeah that, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, so I saw him, 
And he was like, kind of like trying to disguise him. David Hyde Pierce from the TV show Frasier. Yeah. He's Niles, the brother. Yeah. Yeah, one that I saw him in, he was totally like trying to disguise himself. He tried. Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. I saw them like totally dressed down here in Midtown Walking. Harry Belafonte in front of my school. Oh, that's super like, cool. Not like literally, I walk by and, go, and I see them right yeah. away. I have like just an eye for Bing. that. Doesn't matter how dressed down Something they are. Something goes right? off, right. If there was a dude that would recognize Bruce Lee still alive in the wild, I tell you, it's this mother <laughs> sitting across from you. All right? Okay? <laughs> Still alive and I in the wild. shook. All right? Yeah. David Henry Huang's hand. Because mm. he, he, he wrote a play about Bruce Lee a few years ago. Mm. And then uh, the fight yes. choreographer took some lessons from me to, for the Wing Chun stuff. Yeah. All right? And then so they, they gave me some tickets. And then I went there and I met, I, I met Mr. Huang and shook his hand and talked to him a little bit about he Bruce Lee. He didn't have a hairpiece. And then I left. And I'll tell you, I did not leave that going like, damn, that guy gave a Bruce Lee vibe. I think that guy might secretly be Bruce Lee. No. All right. So any, are we ever going to get to this guy's question? So the, the, <laughs> eternal, the eternal thought experiment. Right? Sorry, Mark. All right. The eternal thought experiment is always the, you know, what, uh, you know, what would Bruce Lee have done? So now the question is about the notes. All right. Bruce Lee had all of these notes. A majority of them were written during the time that he had hurt his back. Uh, where he was kind of laid up, and he took that time to I mean, take what his, else are you going to do? Take his favorite books, yeah, and uh, kind of start postulating thoughts and stuff like that for Jeet Kune Do. Now, of course, what Bruce didn't anticipate is that one, he would die two years later, oh. and uh, three years after that, uh, these notes would be sold as a book. All right, uh, and. Um, these were notes that he took from other sources. These were, this was not original work. So then um, James Bishop's book, which mm -hmm. is the, basically a source book, it shows where all those notes come from, uh, rightly gives the credit to those authors that Bruce Lee got that information from, right? And then the big problem is, well, did, did Bruce Lee plagiarize this stuff? And it's like, well, these were his personal notes not meant for publication. The Lee estate definitely overstepped their bounds when they first sold the book because they sold the book as if it were the original writings of Bruce Lee, which they're certainly not, all mm -hmm. right? I think uh, I, during my interview with uh, Dr. James Bishop, I think he said maybe now only 10% or less of the Tao of Jeet Kune Do he has not found a source for, which means if there's anything that Bruce Lee did contribute himself, it would be about less than 10% of the book now, all right? Ooh. But again... That wasn't a book. Those were his notes. Yeah. Okay. If you looked at my notes that I have written about other books, you would also find 100% of it is not my thought because those are my notes from mm. other books. Right? Um, it's just a question of whether I croak and then someone publishes those as my original work. And that was the problem with the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. That was more on the estate. That's not on Bruce Lee. <clears throat> I don't know if Bruce Lee would have published that stuff later because, I mean, obviously those were not his notes, so we have to give him the benefit of the doubt that he wouldn't just take uh, the philosophy of Krishnamurti and Alan Watts and Eric Hoffer and, uh, you know, the boxing stuff from, from the Hazlet books and, and from all those fencing books and just go, yeah, this is my book here, Jeet Kune Do, there you go. Uh, he didn't really right, right. seem to be that, uh, you know, at, at some point early in Bruce's career, he had expressed, like, in the Seattle era, of maybe building a chain of Kung Fu schools around the States to teach his method. And then he very quickly over time changes the tune on that. I think seeing that it's not easy to teach these kind of martial arts en masse 
and uh, he kind of abandoned that. So by the time he was teaching Jeet Kune Do, when he had actually had formulated that name, I don't think he had really had any big plans on having Jeet Kune Do franchises everywhere. And it seemed as his life rolled on, he was less and less interested. He had closed schools down. Uh, he had handed over to schools to his assistants and, you know, um, for example, Taki Kimura, who was teaching in Seattle, was teaching privately. I don't even think he was charging, and he was only teaching like a couple people. So the idea wasn't to be evangelical about Jeet Kune Do. It was kind of to try to keep it on the DL, like an insider thing. Wow. Uh, same with Dan Inosanto and James Jim Lee, of course, the other guy who was authorized to teach Jeet Kune Do, passed away before Bruce did, which meant that it was really just on Taki and Dan Inosanto. And it seemed that as Bruce focused more and more on his movie career, I think he was less interested in the advancement of Jeet Kune Do as a household name within the martial arts world. Um, so it's, di it's difficult to say because when you think about the, when you have this thought experiment, you have to, it's multivalent. You have to look at it from a bunch of different perspectives. Okay, so if Bruce Lee had not died and his movie career continued to thrive. Mm -hmm. He made a few more hits, and then most likely Bruce wanted to start working behind the camera. So let's say Bruce made like three more just bangers, all right? And then he starts directing, and he starts doing other things and other work. And let's say he has a very good career path. Uh, I think he would then even be less inclined to give a shit about publishing books on Jeet Kune Do and stuff like that. I think he would maybe, because he's earning his money as a, you know, in, in the film world, in Hollywood, whatever. So what's the money in martial arts? All right. I mean, mm. I, I don't really think he would have done it. Right. In order for Bruce to kind of go back to Jeet Kune Do and think about writing books and expanding on the teaching, his movie career would probably have to take a dip. Dang. So that's why when you have this thought experiment for Bruce, in my opinion, and I could be totally wrong. I'm most likely wrong. It's a purely hypothetical situation. There's really no way to know this. Um, if Bruce Lee were to put effort in his notes and try mm -hmm. to publish that stuff or formulate his own version of it and write books and stuff like that, I would be of the assumption that's because his movie career wasn't going where he wanted it to go. So because, because if his movie career continued to thrive, what would Bruce Lee's motivation bruce lee was barely motivated to write books and compile his notes and teach and codify his curriculum even though that might be against the nature of jeet Kune Do, while he was still a broke ass martial arts instructor wow all right because yes of course the whole nature of jeet Kune Do is it an open system a closed system is it a group of techniques is it just a philosophy all of these questions exist because bruce lee didn't really complete his work in terms of no. Uh, as an instructor, really telling people what's what. That's why people still have those arguments today. So if he could not have been bothered to give a shit about that stuff while he was a broke uh, Jeet Kune Do instructor, what gives you the impression he's going to give a shit about that when he's a rich movie guy? You understand? So he, his movie career would have to take a hard dip mm -hmm. for him to like dust off ye old Jeet Kune Do notes and want to put that into the form of a book. Just my opinion. For me, Bruce Lee was someone who was incentivized by becoming a movie star, by becoming famous, all of those kind of things. And that was always the priority. He would have to have that primary aim taken away. Look at his 
definite chief aim that he wrote, which is an exercise from Napoleon Hill's book. You know, I, Bruce Lee, will be the highest paid Oriental, his words, Oriental superstar, and you know, by 1980, whatever, he's going to have this much money and all that kind of stuff. He didn't say anything about Jeet Kune Do in there. He didn't say anything about the advancement of the understanding of philosophy of martial arts or his own particular martial art. He's, he's going to be a superstar. He's going to be the highest paid action star, movie star, whatever words he used in there. I don't remember exactly. That was his definite chief aim. That was his Napoleon Hill. You know, that's from the book Think and Grow Rich. You know, you create this definite chief aim and you read it every day and you make this thing your Have mantra. Have you written your definite chief aim? I, you know what? I read that book a long time ago, and I uh -huh. did create uh, my definite chief aim. Is it still around? No, Is it, it, still... Was, it was to have a fledgling podcast with someone dressed like a bumblebee. <laughs> so, well done. So you, by the 100th episode. By the 100th episode. You've achieved. You've got your wish. Yeah. I got my wish. So there you are. That's a great question. It took a but, while. But that question really depends on what would Bruce's trajectory have been had he not passed away. Mm. I think he only would have come back to Jeet Kune Do and the martial arts world if his movie career failed. All right. What's the next question? Let me just. Uh, so you, you you have Bruce Lee, who's an. This is artist. what I mean. Why yeah. he has to be able to take over the KFG podcast because no. he's suddenly Dre's got his own thoughts. Uh, look, he's right, an artist. Go. He's an artist at heart. Yes, for his, sure. His medium, his main medium, is I guess motion pictures or acting or not acting, but motion pictures. Yes. And you saying Bruce I guess, wasn't a good actor? What? You saying Bruce wasn't a good no, actor? No, I, I think he was actually. I think good he's a actor. Very good actor. Yeah. He's a good actor because he's done it so yeah, long. Right. But he was more of like just the creation of it. Mm -hmm. That was his medium. Yes. Right. But martial arts was his other passion. Right. Right. His other medium, and like, what? Damn. My question is: Okay, you're saying that if he didn't have martial only if he didn't have the movies he would not he would have to go back to martial he would arts. have to go back to martial arts because mm -hmm. that was his, that's his but only that, other that wasn't skill. his passion no somebody wanted to do Holy you, you know shit. i just finished um uh someone who listens to our podcast regularly paul Bax. he's yeah. a um uh he's an author um I suppose a jeet kundo and bruce lee expert um, he very kindly sent me a bunch of his books. Mm -hmm. um, and his books were used as uh, source material for, um, even for Matt Polly's book. In fact, the first time I came across um, Matt Paul, uh, sorry, uh, Paul Bax's books was, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm, I was looking in the back at um, Matt Polly's bibliography for his big book. Like, I was like, where are the sources for? Because, you know, he, he sources where he gets everything, right? And I started to see Paul uh Bax's books in there and, and Paul Bax did a number of books where he interviewed students of Bruce Lee um, but long-form interviews or I say multiple interviews over multiple years which mm -hmm. is really great because you can kind of see uh, for example he did Jesse Glover and then he had shorter interviews with people like Ed Hart and James DeMille like the Seattle period students and, and these other uh, Skip Ellsworth uh, Doug Palmer all those guys yeah. and then but also like um, people like Steve Golden who I also know Big big Sean Madigan's Jeet Kune Do Sifu and then so he has he has a couple of them he's got books where it's just the one student and then he has a couple which kind of compiles a bunch of interviews and what's really great is that um, you, you really get an impression from reading these interviews, especially when you see these guys talk about Bruce Lee over time, for kind of a feeling for him. Because they are, um, you know, 
you have like five guys from the Seattle era describe what Bruce Lee was like. And whenever you have those kind of uh, uh, contemporary accounts of one person, mm. you're going to have variations between them. So, you know, James DeMille's look on or take on Bruce Lee during the Seattle period is a little bit different than Jesse Glover's, which is, and Jesse Glover and Ed Hart are kind of similar to each other. And Doug Palmer has a slightly different viewpoint because he wasn't one of like the hardcore students of Bruce Lee, but he was close enough to Bruce Lee to travel with Bruce Lee to Hong Kong in the early 60s. So he actually went to Hong Kong with Bruce Lee and stayed at Bruce Lee's home. So mm -hmm. he has a totally different perspective. So when you, when you read these different perspectives of people who knew Bruce Lee at the same time, you see um, it, it's kind of like uh, uh, those films where they tell the same story but from five different viewpoints. Okay. And you realize when you see the story from different viewpoints, it's almost no like parallels. a different story. Yeah. Oh, no, it's like a different story. Okay. Because, this, because humans are kind they of – humans are complex. Yeah. And, you, you, for example, your relationship with me – Mm -hmm. All right. The way you know me, we've traveled together to Hong Kong. Uh, you know, there was a time period during the pandemic. You lived with me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so we, we've known each other for a number of years very well. But I have students, for example, who have been around longer than you have. Mm -hmm. But I haven't spent as much time personally with them. And they might know me as a martial arts instructor longer than you. Yeah. But they maybe don't necessarily know certain things you know because you've spent so much time with me, right? But that doesn't invalidate their perspective no, or invalidate yours. It just means that the, the glimpse we get to see of the people in our lives is, is the window they present us. And it's not always the whole picture. And it's not always... Um, and it's also viewed through our own lens and our own biases, right? But what I like about that stuff is you see James DeMille, Ed Hart, Jesse Glover, uh, Skip Ellsworth, Doug Palmer, all these guys have kind of their own little mini takes on Bruce Lee. But what you realize is they all have a bunch of things that are in common. Okay? Um, mm. Even if they express it differently when they talk about Bruce's character or how, what Bruce thought about certain things, you start to pick up on some themes that they all say in common. And what a lot of people tend to focus on, because we're so polarized in today's society, are the things where, well, James DeMille has, has this take on Bruce Lee, which is totally at odds with, uh, let's say, what Jesse Glover said. I'm just making a generic example. And people harp on those differences. Well, does, is that because uh, James DeMille's relationship with Bruce Lee? Is that because James DeMille was a, uh, more of a marketer and Jesse Glover wasn't? Mm -hmm. You know, is there another reason why James DeMille's story might be like this? Because he's a, more of a self-promoter or whatever. And then I don't focus too much on that. Because there are a number of reasons why contempor uh, contemporary accounts of the same person by different people will naturally be different you have a different perspective. You see people at a different time of the day. If you see me in the morning, you would have a different perspective about me, like if you saw me later in the day. All right? Legit, yeah. You know what I mean? Like in the morning, I'm very quiet. I don't really talk much for the first few hours. Right. I'm like very like thinking about what I'm going to do. I do my morning exercises. I don't like to be bothered. I don't like to waste time in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I'm... So if there were a group of yeah, people... Yeah, a different face on, yeah, too. Yeah, there were a group of people who knew me mostly in the morning compared to at nighttime, even within the same time period. It's like you're almost dealing with a different person, right? right? 
But what you really need to do if you want to do honest research is you need to pick up all the things that everyone says the same. And then when you start to see like these five Seattle era guys, they might not have the same perspective on XYZ, but ABC is the same. And then you look later, those people who knew Bruce Lee in Los Angeles a few years later. Mm -hmm. They have a different view of Bruce Lee because he was doing Jeet Kune Do. His martial art was a little bit different. It was a different time in his development from the Seattle era. But Steve Golden says ABC the same way that the Seattle guy said ABC. And then you start to go, I think ABC is true about Bruce Lee. And, but everyone is always fretting about the other points that are different because of different perspectives, different time mm -hmm. periods. And people tend to get caught in the weeds of those arguments, which are not supportable or defensible arguments because you're talking about people in different time periods and so on. So what's really fantastic about Paul Bax's books is because you're basically just listening to these different accounts of people who knew Bruce Lee. He asks a lot of the same questions over multiple years and you start to see the consistency in their answers or inconsistencies sometimes and what you start to do is you filter out what are the things that the, all of them said all right so that long-winded kind of preamble notwithstanding yeah. it's very clear bruce lee did not really like teaching that is one thing that you get from all of his students. Wow. Okay? That he, uh, you know, his early period students, people like Jesse, like Jesse Glover was under no illusion that he wasn't basically just kind of a training dummy for Bruce Lee. Mm. He, you know, he had a, he had judo experience. He was bigger. He was stronger. He was Bruce's first student. Bruce was trying shit out on him. Much more so than Bruce was trying to teach Jesse Glover. And the same could be said for a number of Bruce Lee's early students. And they got the vibe that later when he started teaching, he was just a little scattered. He wasn't very organized. And he, quite frankly, didn't like teaching. So when you understand that, that's like the vibe you get from listening to all of these different periods, students of his. That yeah, it's like, I mean, I asked Steve Golden directly about like, you know, what was it like training with Bruce Lee? I was like, you know, what was a regular class like? Mm -hmm. And when he explained to me certain things, I just, I realized, yeah, it, it, Bruce taught kind of in a very disorganized Hong Kong style kind of way where it's like, you just kind of work on what the Sifu feels like working on. There's no like linear progression for the student, no step-by-step. -step. And for some people that's okay. But like, if you really want to transmit skills, you, you need to have some kind of plan, some kind of program. Movement can be taught step-by-step -step, broken down. And Bruce was kind of, you know, you know, he said like they would put equipment on and they would spar with each other and then Bruce would be like, no, 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 you need to do it more. And then he would say, I'm just going to make up a word. You need to do it more artfully. I'm just totally making up a word. And then he would walk away. It's like, well, what does that mean? All right. <laughs> like, like you, you know, there's no like thread or step-by-step -step thing. So if, if we look at that um, and then we look at what Bruce's definite chief aim was, which was about being a, being a very well-paid movie star. Mm -hmm. Bruce's student said he didn't like teaching. Bruce's definite chief aim was to be a big movie star. Would Bruce really give a shit about doing something with his notes afterwards? No. All right. I mean, I think his notes were really not that big of a deal. He was compiling it because maybe he thought he was just going to have to teach. He wasn't going to be able to do anything after his back injury or whatever. And then he made a very miraculous recovery. Shit. But think about it. At the time of Bruce Lee's death, 
Bruce Lee was not the juggernaut that he is today. Linda, I think, didn't really think that he was going to be some sustainable, uh, like, iconic person that he later became. She thought, like, oh, he's dead now. At the time of Bruce Lee's death, according to Linda, they were in financial distress mm -hmm. because I believe there was a little bit of a kind of a Suge Knight, Tupac thing going on between uh, Raymond Chow and Bruce Lee, whereas a lot of the money that Bruce should have earned from Way of the Dragon, you know, Raymond was kind of holding on to and was kind of, you know, when whenever Bruce would complain enough about the money, then Raymond would give him a little bit to kind of shut him up for a little bit and then kind of leave him there for a bit, right? Damn. So... <clears throat> I think that at the time of Bruce Lee's death, Bruce Lee was not particularly rich or wealthy. And uh, there was a lot of potential now because he had just made Enter the Dragon and all this kind of stuff. But at the time of Bruce Lee's death, uh, I don't think he was sitting on a, tons of bags of cash. Hmm. Um, his house, I believe, was financed through Raymond Chow himself. The you know, red SL Mercedes that he was driving, when you look at photos of that, it has dings all over it. All right. When you look at those like photos of him, you know, like uh, at the Harbor Pier and all that kind of stuff, look at his car. There's dings on it. All right. Okay. Because that was Raymond Chow's old car. Raymond was like, oh, here, Bruce, here, have a Mercedes. Well, he probably went out and bought himself a new one with the money he earned off of Bruce Lee's films. You understand? And because uh, Raymond paid a bunch of debts for Bruce because when Bruce came to Hong Kong, Bruce was a little bit in debt with his mortgage and a few other things. So Raymond had to like put out some money for him to stay in an apartment and then um, in Tin, not Tin Hao, in uh, close to Kowloon Tong, but I totally forgot. He stayed in a really tiny Hong Kong apartment until Golden Harvest, from what I understood, financed that 41 Cumberland Road home. Yeah. Which is the reason why they still kind of had that after Bruce Lee's death because I think Raymond Chow actually owned 41 Cumberland Road. I don't think that was even in Bruce Lee's name. So at the time of Bruce Lee's death, the kind of the liquid cash like available to him was not very high. So Linda, that's why she sold her stake of Concord Productions to Raymond Chow and basically gave up any kind of rights to any of Bruce's Hong Kong films and stuff like that. Um, Man. Uh, Enter the Dragon. Although it was for Warner Brothers, because it was shot in Hong Kong on such a low budget, they shot it without SAG. So mm -hmm. those, no one on there is like union, which meant also they're not getting any residuals. Sheesh. Okay? So it wasn't like Linda was going to get these like fat checks from, Golden Har uh, from uh, Warner Brothers on, on the uh, sales of uh, Enter the Dragon. So she was kind of penniless. And then so that's why, you know, 73, she sells, or 74, she sells the remaining interest of Concord, the 50% stake that Bruce Lee had. She sells it back to Raymond Chow. And she's kind of scrambling for, like, how do we make some money here? And then in 75, so two years later, kind of compiles his notes and sells it as the Tao of Jeet Kune Do as if this was a book that he had written and he had not. So I think there's this assumption because a book was put together after Bruce Lee's death. People are like, well, what would Bruce Lee have done with that had he not died? And I don't think he would have done anything. I think those just would have been his notes. They would have just because stayed his notes. there is nothing in Bruce Lee's history to give even the slightest impression that he wanted to go back to being a martial arts instructor. He wanted to go back to being, teaching bong sao and straight leads for cash. Hmm. All right? He didn't want to do that. All right? He didn't want to be the trainer to the stars. He wanted to be the star. Yeah. So I don't think he would have done anything like that. All right. What else you got for me, Dre? Uh, all right. I'm sorry. This, my, this is a s amazing topic. Yeah. Was Our Patreons always have great questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so essentially, you can be really good at something 
You can. Perhaps the best in the world. Yes. But that doesn't have to be your passion or be something that you even want to do. Right. But you're just so good at it that people demand it. People want to see you do it. Right. People want you to do it all the time, but right. you hate doing it at, at some point. I don't think Bruce hated doing martial arts. I think he was fanatical no, about he, doing it. He loved training. Arts. Yeah, he loved training, but he wasn't into the teaching. You know, except, okay, you know, maybe some Hollywood honey show or some sidekicks <laughs> for some movie or something like that, yeah. right? But in terms of, like, building a student from soup to nuts, like, mm. you're a beginner that doesn't know anything, and I'm going to build you up step by step and teach you punch step, punch step, okay, now, bop, 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 like, te- no, no. Well, he didn't have the patience for that. And that's wow. fine. I mean, again, it's also the reason why not everyone who does martial arts should be an instructor, all right? Not everyone here who is a technician is automatically an instructor because you need to have a certain temperament to be an instructor, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes re- really good practitioners of martial arts are not interested at all in teaching, and that's totally fine. Good fighters, good at fighting, they'll want to teach, and some people do a little bit of both, right? And um, I think that because that was not his passion at all, uh, but that's kind of one of the few avenues to make money in martial arts, right? Which is why I always find... <laughs> You know, every year they have that um, uh, martial arts convention in Atlantic City, mm-hmm. all right? It's like the action martial arts, something like that. And it's put together by, uh, you know, some, some really cool people. Like, I mean, I get it. it. It's a business, right? It's basically a convention. You have vendors in Atlantic City and selling martial arts stuff. And then they get a bunch of celebrities there, Cynthia Rothrock and, you know, my good friend Vincent Lynn. All those guys go there. You can meet the celebrities and stuff. And every year I get an invite to go to that stuff, right? And every year I don't go to them to that thing all right because part of it is like it's also it's also like a uh, um uh so so-called hall of fame and it's like dear Sifu alex richter you have been inducted to the action martial arts hall of fame and like you can go and pick up your uh hall of fame trophy um you know if you go to this dinner and you pay like you know 100 bucks a head or something like for dinner so wow. what you, you see basically it's like you go to this banquet and you're paying 100 bucks a head and then they they give you some Hall of Fame thing that yeah. you now share with thousands of other people, right? As a matter <laughs> oh, of fact, uh, Vincent once told me uh, one year they were giving out so many Hall of Fame, which is funny because shouldn't like being put in the Hall of Fame, first of all, shouldn't that go to like one person a year, right? For like your tremendous achievement, one right? One to two. Yeah, one to two, right? Yeah. Maybe different categories, yeah. right? And he said one year, like they had, you know, so many people who are part of the Hall of Fame that they had like had a line all the way where people were just picking up their trophy and then leave, pick up trophy and leave. Like they couldn't go up and say something because it was too many of them because they're just selling this thing. Right. And those people spended most spent most of the time standing in line during the time when they were supposed to eat. And yeah, this is time for bizarro KFG. I'll pay a hundred bucks a head to watch you go and accept an award as the KFG. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's if I, if I said I accepted it and I just sent you in my place, I don't think anyone would notice. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the Something. thing is, so what you realize, it's not really a Hall of Fame. All right. Man. You, you know, you, like you don't go like, oh, I'm in the Action Martial Arts Hall of Fame and this is something prestigious. You're like you and thousands of other people. Right. And sometimes, you know, I'm on Facebook. So I see people, you know, like, yo, I'm in the Hall of Fame or whatever. And these are people who have no students, no schools, Man. have basically done nothing, barely practice. Like no one regards them as anything special in whatever martial art they do, but they will instead of spending a hundred bucks on their education to get a, a private lesson or to get a, a subscription for a few bucks a month to learn something, they will spend hundreds of dollars to drive down to Atlantic City to pick up some trophy that says that they're part of a Hall of Fame 
for an achievement that th th there is no achievement. They just they got a letter like hundreds of other people, right? Sheesh. And uh, the other reason why I don't go to that, besides the fact that like, look, if it's an actual Hall of Fame, and you're gonna and I'm you're nominating me for something for whatever reason. First of all, like for what? Mm -hmm. I've been in business for 20 years as a martial, as a Wing Chun guy in the age of MMA. Is there a Hall of Fame for that? Oh, All right. Man. The one guy who can teach <laughs> professionally in the age of MMA, right? Uh, what, what are you putting me in the Hall of Fame for? What have I done? I'm 45. Was yeah. my life done? Did I really accomplish everything I want to do, right? No, probably, right? So, um, I know Chief you hate that, right? Chief, Chief Aim, right? Chief <laughs> Aim was his 100th episode with Bumblebee. Uh, you know, like, 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 it just doesn't make any sense. Like, what hall? Of, what is the hall of fame? What is this? And also, I don't need these external, this kind of external gratification. And you realize, like, there are people on my Facebook. Like, they they're so proud of this thing that they paid for, and these are not martial artists that are known the world over for doing anything. And I go, like, this is this is what you got into martial arts for was to get some fake trophy for some fake hall of fame, right? Uh, so I, I I just I don't believe in that, so I don't go to it. But the other reason is because. I find those kind of martial art conventions depressing mm. because, in my opinion, they are the graveyard of martial art careers, all right? Mar in martial arts, there's only a finite number of ways you can earn money in martial arts, yeah. okay? Uh, there's really three primary ways you can earn martial arts, uh, uh, money in martial arts, I should say. First one is uh, you're a martial arts competitor, all right? And uh, the problem with that is there's not that much money in martial arts competitions. I mean, even in UFC, unless you're a really high-level UFC person, you're not even really earning big bucks. Man, I mean, oh I, man. Know, <clears throat> I know a couple UFC fighters who are at, the, like, say, the lower tier, mm -hmm. and I know what they earn. And when you think about how hard they have to train and how long they have to train and how much they have to pay their trainers and everything, and by the time they get there, it's really not a lot of money that these guys are earning, right? But... <clears throat> For, for lack of a, of a better option, competitive martial arts is one avenue to earn money with martial arts. Second avenue to earn martial art, uh, money with martial arts is to go into entertainment, mm -hmm. right? to be a movie star, whatever. Like right? my Seahang. Yeah. Now, that is also very difficult because, uh, you know, especially nowadays with YouTube, you have so many people out there who can do cool acrobatic stuff or whatever. Like, no one is really a star anymore. You have Scott Adkins. You know, a couple guys in Asia, right? Tony Ja can still pull it through. Obviously, Donnie Yen, those guys. But <clears throat> it's only a handful of people where you go, those are like the current Mount Rushmore of martial art guys for making movies now. Mm -hmm. It's not a lot. And there are a lot of people who are trying to go there. And the competition is, is too great. So you have that. And then the third way to earn money with martial arts is to teach it, right? Obviously, there's a fourth way you could sell martial art products or something like that, right? But um, <clears throat> in terms of you yourself being a martial artist, mm -hmm. uh, you're either going to make money competing, you're going to make money in film and entertainment, or you're going to make money teaching, all right? Uh, of the three, teaching is obviously the most sustainable of all of them, right? Uh, if you're a movie star, you might only be a movie star for a few years. If you're a competitor, you might only be a competitor for a few years. So when you go to these conventions, you see an inordinate high or high, very high proportion of people from the first two categories, mm -hmm. which are former competitors and some former competitors 
later went on into entertainment, people like Don the Dragon Wilson, stuff like that, right? Uh, some people are just former competitors and never did anything after that. You know, mm -hmm. your Chuck Liddell's and stuff like that. And then you have movie people, but usually the people who go to those conventions are not old. You do occasionally get Scott Atkins going to those things, but these are the people whose movie careers have, they're winding down, all right? And so what you see very little of at those martial art conventions are people who teach martial arts for a living because they're usually busy teaching martial arts for a living. They're not trying to become a movie star and they're not a competitor or a former competitor or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So when you go to these martial art conventions, it's just this really bizarre mix of those first two categories. Former competitors who are trying to relive their glory days and former washed up movie stars who are trying to relive their old movie days. Now, of course, you see some really cool people at those things like Cynthia Rothrock and like people who are really oh, yeah. awesome and still doing awesome stuff. But um, <clears throat> here's where I'm going to be an entitled KFG guy. <laughs> if I want to spend time with Cynthia Rothrock, I yeah. can, I can twist Vincent Lynn's arm enough to see if she can come and visit. We can go grab yeah. something to eat like we've done before. Right. Yeah. I don't ha have to go to a convention in Atlantic city to take a photo in a booth with her. You know what I mean? So, <clears throat> I find those kind of three avenues, the, the main ones. And when you go to those conventions, there's no one there who really teaches martial arts. Uh, there are just people from the first two categories. And it just feels like a graveyard of martial art careers, mm -hmm. right? And I remember mm -hmm. many years ago, the one time I did go to Atlantic City during that time happened to be because there was a martial arts business convention in Atlantic <laughs> you got City. The Hall of Fame. Uh, no, uh, it was a martial arts business convention where okay. they were teaching, you know, how to do business and, you know, how to do advertising for your martial arts school. And I went down for that. And it happened to be in Atlantic City on the same weekend as the Action Martial Arts Festival. Mm. And that was <clears throat> more of a reinforcement why I don't go to those things. I remember walking through one of the casinos in Atlantic City and there's like all these martial art dorks who are there for the convention. And there was one guy, an older guy, and he was just something like, you know, a Meridote, like uh, Enter the Dojo, you know, Master Ken. You know, the, like, yeah. like, he's a parody of a lot of those guys. But I'll tell you, the, the Master Ken thing, the old Meridote and Thousand Ways to Restomp the Groin, um, <laughs> he's really playing it very close to what those guys kind of actually really are like. Mm -hmm. When you watch those Master Ken parodies, like he's maybe just amplifying it 5% to where a lot of them American karate guys are like, yeah, I'm an 18th degree black belt in Ken Jitsu Tiger form Kenpo karate kung fu. Yeah. And I have 18 black belts and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, you attack me, I'm going to break your groin and then re-stomp it and then break your arm, yeah. right? And... One of those guys was like walking in the middle of a casino, right? And you just see, it was the most depressing <laughs> shit I had ever seen. Uh, I'm walking through an Atlantic City casino, which is already a depressing feeling in and of itself. Yeah. And there's all these like old middle-aged and older people pissing their money away. Just pissing their money away, hoping, and you just go like, oh man. Mm. In these years of your life, you need to be saving your money. You need to not be pissing your money away, right? And then there's this guy walking through there, going to the convention. And the dude is like, yeah. and he's an older guy. He's got like a gray beard. He's got like, you know, gray hair. He's wearing freaking sunglasses from the 70s. And he's wearing this like orange gi with like stripes on it. 
and yeah. patches all down the side. It says uh. Grandmaster on the back in that fake Chinese takeout lettering. No. And, um, and he has a patch in the front that says Grandmaster Bob. <laughs> all right? And uh, I walk by and I look at this and I go, Jesus Christ, this is exactly why I don't go to these things. Like, these are, what are these pod people, right? Oh, like, no. you want to be part of this yeah. Hall of Fame, right? And then I go into the convent, uh, into the, um, the 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 class you know we're taking that there was Stephen Oliver he was like oh yeah. he's like okay. a high level dude when it comes to marketing and stuff and he was sitting there and he goes like yeah I mean look there were like ten people who did that marketing class right and none of those people were people who are participating in the Atlantic City weekend of hot no. nonsense right and he said look there are all these guys here with you know twenty eighth degree black belts and all this kind of stuff many of them might have schools and only a few students and not a single one of them is investing in their education to better themselves as a business owner, as a leader of a school, as a mm -hmm. leader of students. They're here to pick up a trophy so they can then put it on Facebook that they're part of a Hall of Fame. And that's not going to win them any new students. And then you start to see like this is what people are investing in. Instead of investing in their own education, investing in themselves, they're investing in external gratification. Sheesh. You know, people like like they, they ask me like to join these things or, or if I want these awards or whatever. It's like I didn't get into martial arts for any of that stuff. I have all these certificates on the wall that I got from different places or whatever. That's great. I have way more certificates than what I have on the wall back there. Just the certificates Not I earned. Wall space. Well, those are the certificates I earned through my Wing Chun from my various teachers, right? Mm -hmm. I have all sorts of other certificates that have been given to me from all sorts of like, they're sitting in a box somewhere. This is mm -hmm. not why I did martial arts. I appreciate it when people appreciate things that I've done, but I don't do it for that. You know, martial arts is a lot more personal for me than, than, than that, right? So I think that Bruce Lee was definitely someone who had kind of one track in terms of what he wanted to do. And one thing that I am happy about, or I'm not happy about him dying, but I'm saying one thing that we never needed to see was Bruce Lee sitting at a convention at a desk selling his autograph for 50 bucks, okay? Because wow. in, in the, in the, uh, that is crazy. In the kind of like tree, multiple tree branches of possibilities. Yeah. All right? That thing we went to a few, year, a few weeks ago with Bolo, an 80-something-year-old Bruce Lee very well could be sitting in one of those rooms going, like, yeah, I did this movie, Enter the Dragon, back then. Do you remember? Oh, right, that. yeah. That was remember that kung fu fad from the seventies, right? What? And there's Bruce Lee right there. Oh. Yeah. What? And the and right and, next to Ty Mock. Right next to Ty Mock, right? No, there would have oh. been there would have been no Last Dragon without Bruce Lee's death. Yeah. There'd be no Ty Mock either. All right, so looks. I think we got time for one more quick one. Are you an instructor from the WT Wing Chun line and are confused about aspects of your Wing Chun training? Do you have questions about application, guo sao, lat sao, or how to train or teach chi sao? Do you need help with your curriculum or just guidance to push past your current skill level? Please consider coming to Florida and doing an immersion course with me. Immersion courses are 20 private lessons taught in five days in a very serious and intensive manner. These are done in my Florida home so you can stay there and focus on your training 
training in the sunshine. Courses are individually crafted to your needs after we have a consultation. No politics, no nonsense, just serious training. Click the link in the description of this episode to find out more about immersion training with me in Florida. I'm currently filling up spots for March and April of 2023, so apply today to get one of those dates. Spots are limited because of my schedule, so book before the end of February 2023. Again, the link for immersion training in Florida is in the description below, and I'll see you in the sunshine. Make it a quickie. Personally, I'd just like to say I got into martial arts for the tail. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely in the wrong place. I (laughs) (laughs) I gotta move forward from that. Mark Pinder. Would you rather another Patreon? Yeah. We're all Patreon today. I love it. That's what's up. It's just Patreon episode. That's how we do it. Yeah, that's how we do it. Yeah. Hundredth episode. Yeah. Deserving. I mean, Patreon guys always get first dibs. So um, that's why, you know, when people do want their, because I get people send me questions all the time. I'm like, we got to put it on YouTube. But if you want a guarantee that we'll answer it, you got to join Patreon. If you're picking a Patreon question, it's a possibility that this is going to take longer than five minutes. Not really. Not really. It's a short watch. Watch. You'll see. Well, if Dre answered it, it'd be short. (laughs) It would be short and sweet right okay right just like me yeah it might uh his answers might not look like much but they're really short <laughs> all right go, go oh, for it god damn would you rather not be a bruce lee fan and never know of beardy's existence or be a bruce lee fan and live with the fact that he has a bigger following than you <laughs> that's great that's great. Uh, no, the fact that Beardy has a bigger following than me doesn't—it doesn't bother me. I mean, it, it's one of those things. It's one like, of those things. Well, it just shows you the power of bullshit. Yeah. Okay? It's not—it's not the size that matters. It's what you do with it that counts. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Whoa. E- exactly. Right. Uh, no, no. I mean, it, it doesn't. Uh, it's the substance. It doesn't. But there's no the substance. quality. There's no substance of Beardy. He's a bullshit artist. I heard recently, people keep sending me beardy stuff. I guess they think I give a crap because we occasionally make those videos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a public service announcement. Please don't send me beardy videos. Well, they want I, us I, to, I, to I attack I, it. I won't watch them. I, I don't watch them. The only time you I ever watch... Your algorithm. The only time I ever watch beardy videos are when we do those live reactions. Because one, I, I want the reaction to be live and live, spontaneous. Yeah. Not like I saw this video already and I kind of know what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I don't want his crap showing up on my algorithm. So whenever, uh, like, <laughs> even when we do watch the Beardy stuff for, like, our uh, uh-huh. episodes, I log out of my YouTube so that that doesn't go onto my YouTube algorithm because I don't want that crap on there. Oh, that's so, smooth. Yeah, I don't want that crap on there because it's garbage. Slick. And people ask me, like, what do you think about Beardy's video? First of all, you already f***ed up with asking me what do I think about Beardy's video. I don't think about Beardy's video because, like, we clown him because it's good content. It's yeah. funny. But I don't spend any of my time thinking about Beardy's content because he actually has no content. No one is looking at Beardy's videos and going like, I wonder what Beardy's take is on this because he's literally just making shit up. I heard some, because people send me all the time, they keep sending me this stuff. It's like, how do I put this politely? I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. I don't, like Beardy has already shown himself to be a serial liar, to be a fantasist, to be someone who makes up stories about himself, about Bruce Lee, and he knows how to do the clickbait thing. That's why he's got a big channel. But it's not because he's the authority on Bruce Lee. He does literally isn't he's a masturbator. Anything, all right? He's a masturbator, right? Master um, at it. But uh, 
someone sent me the other day like, oh, he just posted that video, the Nokia commercial with the ping pong with the nunchucks and claimed that that was in fact Bruce Lee. So, so the, the problem is that when, when, have to see when, when, you, when you see something like that or you yeah. hear that he did a video on that, like, look, man, I'm going to be dead one day. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to waste my time watching this stuff. All I'm right. I'm going to do it. <laughs> no, I mean, like, like the, no. it's, it's, it's literally a waste of time because it's not like you go, oh, well, that's an interesting point about Bruce Lee. There are no interesting points to get from Beardy's channel. He's a liar. He makes shit up. Okay. It's not like you watch someone who has an alternate take on Bruce Lee, maybe like some Bruce Lee haters out there mm -hmm. who think, uh, you know, Bruce Lee wouldn't have done very well in a modern martial arts environment or whatever. Like, okay. You can get upset about that because you're a Bruce Lee fan, but at least those people are having a substantive conversation about something that you can go back and forth. Beardy is not a Bruce Lee fan. He's someone making money off of Bruce Lee because he doesn't even know basic shit like that Dan Inosanto is not a Kempo grandmaster, okay? So, so th there is no, there, there's no, there's no there there, all right? There's no, there's nothing to be, there's nothing to dig into on Beardy's channel. There's nothing, okay? The fact that he's on YouTube doesn't mean you have, you have to now make this part of your life, all right? Mm -hmm. And that's all I'm going to say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, like this episode, and if you have any questions for me to answer in a future episode, go ahead and put them in the comments below. But if you want to guarantee I'll answer that, join our Patreon page in which the link is also below. By the way, KFG t-shirts are available now. Link is also below. And I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a kung fu genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your kung fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. Good. All right, so this is episode what 101? I believe so. No, believe so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're lying. He needs to be on episode one. I know. It's a diva. Jesus. He genuinely. Blah. All right, peeps. Martial arts questions. On the all right, no. peeps. On, all right, listen, listen to me, Drake. Drake. Okay. All right. <laughs> this is gonna be a shit show. Yeah. All right, peeps. On today's. Uh, all right, peeps. On today's episode of the. Uh, all right, nope. peeps, on today's 100th episode of the Kung Fu Genius. His ability to fail so fast after like going through it correctly is <laughs> uh, no. incredible. Yeah. All right, shut up. The Genius will be answering all the dope questions from the Patreons. All right, peeps. What's with the clap? I know. What? You've got the clap? No, you've got the clap. Dre's got the clap. We were listening to Wilford Brimley before the <laughs> Someone turned his whole diabetes shtick into a hip-hop rap. Oh, fantastic. Diabetes, yeah. diabetes. All right, come on, Bumblebee, let's go. Transform in my head. Bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why don't you transform here in real time? Hey. All right, let's go. All right, peeps. On today's 100th episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all dope questions from the patrons. Patreons. The patrons. <laughs> all right, peeps. Hadabanga. Everybody do the handabanga. He's got to be at work at 11. Don't make me beat that bumblebee ass. <laughs> All right, people. All right, people, Bryson. All right, peeps. On today's handabanga. All right, peeps. On today's episode. Okay. Dre, do you just want me to do it? No. Or me. No, no, I can do it. We can I do can this. do it. I can do it. We can I'm do it. doing no, it. you can't. All right, peeps. On today's 100th episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all dope questions from the Patreon.
lots of gems, lots of depressing moments, uh, no, depressing, oh, depressing God, martial arts conventions. So do you want me to do it? Lots of I think I'll depressing do it. martial Drake, arts. Drake, no, let do me it. do it. That's your bumblebee ass. All right, peeps. On today's episode, all right, all right, peeps. <laughs> all right. It's getting worse. Wow. That was good. That was good. AFT. About fucking time. <laughs> All of that. 100. 100 episodes. Yay! Yeah. And uh, we've been canceled. 